Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to talk from this idea this morning of being invited. Say invited. How many love being invited places? Isn't it awesome like when someone gives you an open invitation to go and be somewhere? Let's turn to the gospel of Luke. In chapter 5, we we see Jesus here. Uh, He calls a tax collector of all people to be one of his disciples. Now, if you've not read the gospels much, it's interesting how they will couple the sinners and the tax collectors together. Right now, some of us would say, yeah, 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 you know, the people that take taxes, we can put them in with sinners. I mean, that's easy to think, but there was a reason for it. And I don't want to get into the history of it, but basically, in a nutshell, they were Jews who would be hired by the Roman government to collect taxes. And so they would collect a certain amount that Rome wanted, but then they would collect a little more for themselves. And so Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We know that song, right? But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was over, and that's a beautiful story. We'll have to talk about that again soon. But Levi, also called Matthew, was a tax collector, and so Jesus calls him. So look at this, verse 27 of uh, Luke chapter 5. It says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. You see the invitation here? And he left everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. Verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. Now, you know, some of the disciples, they all had a home, I believe. But I'm wondering how nice this house was, being that he was a tax collector. Look at this. He had this big reception for him. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people. One version says, disreputable characters who were reclining at the table with him. Now, this would be blowing Jewish minds. I mean, this rabbi was hanging out in a place he shouldn't be hanging out. I mean, he was with the sinners and the tax collectors. We, we see this theme quite often through the scriptures with Jesus, right? And so look what happens here in verse 30. It says, the Pharisees and their scribes, which, by the way, where were they? I just thought about that. Like, were they in the house? Were they peeking in the window? What was going on here? He says, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Common question to Jesus and the disciples, wasn't it? But look at this in verse 31. And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are what? Sick. And look at this. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, that's a pretty loaded statement right there. And so we're going to kind of look at that a little bit closer here in just a moment. But but I think about this serious issue that I've discussed in length before, and nothing has changed between my wife and I. It's been a struggle for a lot of years, and it's this, RSVPing. You ever get those invitations and RSVP and then you don't? Now, we're doing a lot better than we have, right? Come on, high five, air high five. But have you ever got an invitation like, yeah, yeah, we'll go to that, or I don't think we'll go to that, but you don't respond, right? We're really guilty of this. We, we don't respond. And then you show up and like, oh, I didn't know you guys were coming. Why not? Of course we're coming. Well, you didn't RSVP. 
P. That's the reason we send the invitation. We can get a head count. We can know what's going on. That's something we just struggle with for years, you know? And now they're even on Facebook. And here's one thing I do. I'll let you in on a secret. Whenever my kids post something, especially my daughter, who I like to just razz and have a good time with, every time she puts some type of event, especially for the grandkids' birthday parties, they have a yes and no. And what else do they have? A maybe. I always hit maybe. Just for fun. And she's like, she'll text me, really? Maybe? But you know, we even have now digital invitations, and for some of us, we still don't respond to those. I'll be honest, I just don't respond. First of all, do you know what the RSVP actually means? Anyone? Responde, s'il vous plaît. Yeah, it's French. It's like, please respond to me. Like, please. Like, I know you're really busy, and if it fits into your schedule, and maybe you think of it, you know, I mean, we can read your mind, so don't if you, if you can't, but please respond if you can. How many know that a response is always nice? Responses to invitations are necessary. If you're invited somewhere and you just don't respond, even if, if you don't respond to the actual RSVP, but if you don't end up going, you've missed out on the benefit of being invited. Does that make sense? I thought this was funny. If you actually look up, just Google funny invitations or RSVPs, check this out on the screen here. I thought this was funny. It says, the favor of your reply is kindly requested. So look at this. I will attend. That's easy, right? Uh, I will not attend. Pretty simple, right? How about this? Well, say I plan to attend, then I won't show without any explanation, even though you already had to pay for me in the advance headcount. That might be one I'd have to hit, right? How about this one? I will attend and will bring a date, even though the invite offered no indication that I could bring a date, but you're cool with it, right? <laughs> you know, people actually send these out. I think that's pretty cool. But the point, the point of the matter is this, is that when we're invited somewhere, it's always good to respond, not just RSVPing, but to respond to that by receiving what the, what your, you know, your invitation and then going in order to benefit from that invite. And I, I think about this Christmas season. I mean, many of us have been invited to parties and get-togethers, but what about the greatest invitation of all? The invitation to the family of God. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest invitations we can ever receive. It's like, think about this. The, the invitations have been sent out. Every detailed ha- detail has been prepared. And all we have to do is respond to the invitation. Because how many know that belief is important? You know, in the early church, you think about they would would preach the good news, they would preach the gospel, and then it would say this, and they believed. See, there has to be belief there. If belief isn't there, then you won't act upon the invitation. Does that make sense? And so for me, it's, it's not so much about... Did I pray a special prayer? Did I go to a special building? Did I, did I go to a thing called an altar? Did, it's not that. It's did I respond to the invitation? Am I believing that it's true? In fact, when you receive the invitation, do you even believe that the invitation is for you? Because when you believe it, then you can receive it, and then you can walk in it. And so we all have this invitation. And I believe that Christmas, and even more specifically, the birth of Jesus is an invitation for us. You have been invited. Invited to participate, enjoy, benefit from, and even share and invite others. Isn't that cool? 
So what I see here is that the gospel is marked by invitations. We see it all through the scriptures. Here's one, Luke chapter five, verse 32. We just read this. He says, I have not come to call. That word actually to call in the Greek means to invite. So I have not been called to invite or call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I just want to take a minute on this because when we see this, we could think, okay, it makes sense. So what Jesus was saying was that the Pharisees and the scribes were okay because they were righteous, but that's not what he was saying. This word righteous here, sure, it means in right relationship, but this idea here, you got to look at context. These were the people saying, why is Jesus sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Get some context here. While they're doing this, they're, they must have been walking in and out, and they say, why is he doing this? So if they're the righteous, does that mean they're in right relationship with Jesus? Well, obviously not from the story. But see, righteous here is of those who seem to be righteous, who pride themselves in being righteous, who pride themselves in their virtues, whether real or imagined. That's what the context is here. Think about this. Does it mean that Jesus didn't have an open invitation to the religious community? Absolutely not. In fact, I think we need to be careful because sometimes what we've done as Christians, as New Testament churches, we almost become anti-Semitic and not even realize it. So like we look down our nose at a Jewish person or someone who, you know, who uh, worships and God, uh, Yahweh, and studies the Torah, we look down at them. That's not what Jesus is doing here. So I want us to understand, I mean, we know Jesus was a Jew, right? A Jew born under the law, right? And the law had a purpose and the law was good, right? We're not antinomian. We're not against the law. But there's this new law that's been written on our heart, not tablets of stone, and it's called love. It's awesome. But when Jesus is talking here, and he says, I have not come to invite the righteous, he's not saying that the righteous can't be invited. He's saying that even if I sent you an open invitation, you would decline because you already think you've got it together. You already think that that everything is good. In fact, you're challenging, you're testing me in the fact that I'm going to the sinners and the tax collectors, those who know they need help, shows me you don't receive me anyway. Does that make sense? So the invitation's open to every single person, but I believe in context, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not here for you guys. Let's put it there. Hey, listen, bro, I'm not here for you. I'm here for them. And so that's the context of this. But look at this, he says, I've not come to invite the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Actually, in the message translation, I think it clears it up pretty well here. Eugene Peterson translates it like this. Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or sick? Now listen to this. I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. Did you catch that terminology? Who's he inviting? outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life and changed inside and out. Now think about this. He invites the outsiders. That's what sinners were in this day. In fact, we could say it's not much different today, right? How many have ever felt like they're on the outside? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you're on the outside within the religious community? Been there, lived that. And so what he's saying is, listen, you are, you are calling the shots as the religious system. You're saying who's in and who's out. 
for some reason you think you're inside but the rest are outside. He's saying, you don't even want to respond to the invitation anyway, so I'm actually inviting those who are on the outside, who you say are on the outside, and showing them that they're literally on the inside. I don't know if I can. What Jesus was saying to them is, I have an invitation that you don't even want to receive anyway, and what I'm saying is those who are on the outside, I'm actually saying that they are on the inside already. How do we know this? Because he spent time with them. Here's the thing we have to understand, and this is what the beauty is of understanding the first century, uh, understanding the Jewish culture, is you did not sit and eat with someone who you didn't agree with. If they were outside, you would refuse to sit with them. That was your way of saying, no, you're not welcome. There's no covenant between us. Meals represented covenant. This was established way back in Leviticus. That's why we have these five main sacrifices. And when they would sacrifice, it was very intricate. It was very specific on how to do it. But within every step of the way, God was showing relationship. Guess how? He'd say, even when you burn the offering, which by the way, you animal lovers, let me just tell you, that was never God's intention. If we see through the prophets later, he's like, I'm at the point, I despise the offerings. I never wanted this anyway. It's just culturally what you could accept at the time. But here's what I'm going to have you do. When you offer these sacrifices, in fact, the very first sentence of Leviticus says, when you bring an offering in the Hebrew, that's literally saying, when you draw near. There was no other God in any other culture that you would draw near to. You were afraid of the gods. You would offer them, offer them, even offer them your firstborn children so that hopefully they'll be okay with you. And so God was already changing everything. Even in the law, do you know that an eye for an eye was a giant step forward from every other culture? If you stole from someone, they would cut off your hand or kill you in other cultures. In, 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 in the Torah, in the law, they said, no, 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 eye for an eye, come on, we're not going to go above and beyond here. We're not going to say, you bumped into me, so I'm going to kill you. So even though for us that's barbaric at some point, it was where they were culturally. Do you understand? It's this progression. God was moving with them. So in Leviticus, when he states specifically how to offer the offerings, he's saying, draw near. Not only that, when the burnt offering, when it's finished, now we will use this as a meal. Why? Because in meals, that's where you sit down, you get to know each other, and you develop relationship. See, this God, Yahweh, was saying something completely different than any other God. He was saying, I want you to draw near to me. I want to spend time with you. In fact, I believe we will get to the point where you'll know me so well, you'll know my heart so well, that you no longer will need these sacrifices to feel okay. Even Hebrews said that they would offer sacrifice so that their own conscience would feel clean. Are you following me here? God allowed man to do what they needed to do to feel okay enough to be with God. Make sense? It's pretty powerful. And so we see in this whole scenario that this whole idea of sitting down and having a meal that represented covenant. And Jesus was saying, I will spend time with those you say are on the outside. I'm going to say it again so I can show them and you that they're literally on the inside. I've never cast them away. I will never leave them. I will never forsake them. So what does Jesus say? I have not come to invite or call the righteous, those who won't even receive what I'm saying or giving anyway, but sinners to repentance. Now this word sinners was actually a label. 
It was someone that was an outcast. You weren't allowed to worship with us or be with us. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm going to call them to repentance. Now, what's a sinner? It's, it's not free from sin. It's still operating outside of their true identity. I, I've shared this quite often, but if you haven't heard this before, the word sin in the Greek is the word hamartia. Now, I don't know if I've got that exactly right. It is Greek, and sometimes it's all Greek to me, right? It's hamartia, and it comes from two words. It's the word ha, which is a negative or without. That's what it means, negative or without. And the word miros, which is portion or form. So it's to be without your allotted portion or without form. It's pointing to a disorientation, to being disoriented or distorted or bankrupt identity. If we really break it down, sin is to live out of the context with the blueprint of your true design. See, sometimes we look at a specific thing, you know, the verb, sinning, and we're like, oh, look at that person, look what they're doing. Look, oh, look at that person, look what they're doing. And it's like, I'm to the point now where I see them, I'm like, but what are you doing? If we're gonna sit here and just start picking out all the stuff that people are doing, verb, sinning, we could be here for hours, Right? But some of us just hide our sinning really well. But other people, we can point our fingers at them because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Come on, I'm just being real this morning. But what we have to see is the reason that we do the sinning is because we don't see who we truly are. So sin, hamartia, in the Greek, when you hear that word, it's literally living out of context with the blueprint of your true design. We can say this, to behave out of tune with God's original harmony. That's what it is. So the outflow of that is actions that don't line up with who you truly are. See, I'm a firm believer in pointing to people not to point out sin, but to point out the son, to point out the daughter, to say this is who you truly are. And, And when they start to see that, when they begin to see that, that's when actions change. I've seen it in my own life. So he says this, to the sinners, those who have lost their true design, then he says, repent. And we all know what that means, right? Metanoia, it means to change your mind. More specifically, it means to give one the ability to repent or change one's mind. I think it's beautiful because what happens here is even faith is a gift given by God. And so God says to you, this is who I am, and this is who I see you as, and I'm even giving you the gift of faith so you can believe the truth about who you are and your true identity. Will you believe? That's the gospel in a nutshell to me. That's what makes it so so much easier to witness, to soul win. You know, we know these words, right? It's to just develop relationship with people. See, God's a relational God. I mean, the divine, the source, however you want to term that, is very relational. There's a connection there, and we have to awaken to that. But when we do, it's so good that we want to tell others about it. It's not telling them how bad they are and how they don't measure up and how, I don't know, man, but if you can just do these five special steps, then maybe, just maybe, you'll be okay and be in the family. No, it's announcing to them that everything has been done over 2,000 years ago. It's a done deal. The invitations have been sent out. Everything has been prepared. It's ready to go. It's already done. And you simply have to RSVP and say, I will attend. I receive it. I believe it. That's check marks, by the way. What's sign language for check mark? Oh, that's pretty easy. I was doing sign language and didn't even realize it. 
<laughs> Let's give it up for Jessica. Yeah. The gospel, which means the good news, in the Greek it literally means almost too good to be true news, which sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? It's so good. The gospel of good news declares that God's love for you is unconditional and his grace is super abounding. That's the, the word or the verbiage that Paul uses. It's over and above and beyond super abundant. It's the how much more is of Jesus, what Jesus spoke about, and the grace upon grace that the apostle John wrote of. You've been invited to participate. So the question is, will you accept the invitation? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes to this kingdom life? Will you say, yes, master, I will follow you, not as a slave, but as someone who sees your example, your life, and wants to imitate that life? Because guess what? That's what brings peace to the earth. And we sing songs, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How does that happen? Walking kingdom life choosing to live above and beyond the things that you've been indoctrinated with, the things that you learned growing up. I think about things like you know, bigotry and racism and, and hatred. And Do you know these things? You're not born with those things. You are indoctrinated with those things. If you grow up in a household that doesn't like people because of the color of their skin or doesn't like people because of their social status, well, what do you think is going to happen to you most likely? But you take a couple kids who are just young, don't know any better, they'll play with anyone. They don't, they don't go, hey, how much is in your daddy's bank account? I've never heard that on the playground, ever. Right? Black, white, yellow, red, playing together, no issues. It's indoctrination, right? And so it's living above those things. You know, my life, this is what the kingdom has done to me. It has just shaken up my ideas. I mean, it's radically shifted what I believe about people, about society, about life, about God. And I, I've got some work. I've got a journey ahead of me. But man, it's just radical. And sometimes I believe that God literally is, is giving us baby steps because you just, sometimes you just couldn't handle it all at once. I, I think back to where I was even, you know, a decade ago or five years ago, and I'm like, if everything that I believe now were put on me 10 years ago, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I really don't. So it's these slow shifts. But still I look back and go, wow, I'm still in the midst of things where I still struggle going, man, but, but God, I believed this for years. And, and now, you know, one verse digging into the original language, just one word, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, wait a minute. This just rocked every foundation I had in that area. But see, that's living by faith. See, if you can live inside your box of denomination, indoctrination, never look outside that box, that's not faith. That's why even living by the law, I'm not talking about like the law of the land, but you know, by the law of Moses, living by the law didn't take faith. It was all spelled out. Give me the parameters, this is what I do. But what I find the struggle with sometimes is living a life of love because that's been a challenge to me. Because I'll look at something that I think, mm, I don't agree with that or I can't hang with that or be with that, but then love tells me something else. 
Now, love doesn't mean that anything goes. But love says that we accept people where they are. That's not always easy, is it? And we don't accept people where they are with an ulterior motive of, I'm so glad I'm befriending them because I'm going to change them. (laughs) Good luck. What I found is that love does change people. And the main person that changes is me. I just, I don't know, it just blows my mind to, to see how far I've come in this journey and the things that I've changed my beliefs on. And I know it's Holy Spirit. I, I know it's my source. I know it's Father. And so I've had to choose to walk by faith because what that's done is sometimes I've walked into a new facet of belief and unfortunately, unintentionally, it's walked me out of certain relationships. That's tough. Yeah. Sometimes you lose relationships when you choose to walk kingdom. You know? And so what do we do in those situations? I'm going way off my notes. What do we do in situations like that? We love them. We realize that just because we move to a different place or space doesn't mean that we're right on everything, that we're not better than that person. We keep the lines of communication open. So many people, when they change belief systems, they shun everyone else unless you change to my belief system. Well, I used to believe this about God, but now I believe this, so get on board or we're done. Or the other way, right? Other way around. What I found is, you know, especially as a pastor, I mean, sometimes people decide, oh, you know, it was a good church. It's, it's not really you, pastor, but I don't like anything you preach. Well, then I guess it is me, but, um, but at least they sit down and talk with me. That's better than people who just, like, you haven't seen them in three, four, ten, twenty-five weeks. You're like, what happened? Are they, are they alive? <laughs> right? But in those situations, what I've learned is you never burn bridges. You can't get upset because people have a different thought pattern or a different paradigm than you. Come on. I mean, that's life. I've, I use the example all the time, but my wife and I don't stay married because we agree on everything. We stay married because we disagree on everything and love arguing. No, I'm, that was a joke. No, we don't disagree on everything. But... But, you know, we don't agree on everything. There's times where I'm like, man, she's just wrong and can't see it. But, you know, I'll pray for her. I call the prayer line, prayer chain. No, I'm just kidding. But see, agreement doesn't equal relationship or friendship, right? And so there's a lot of times where, you know, if we're moving into something else, and maybe, maybe you should learn being tactful, just go, wow, like, I'm going in a different direction, and maybe I just don't say much right now, Right? Not that you're hiding anything, but you want to maintain relationship because you love people. Does all this make sense? And so that's what we see Jesus do. I mean, Jesus is hanging out with people that, listen, I'm sure he disagreed with a lot of the ways that they were living, but he thought, hey, I'm here for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them right out of some of that stuff. I'm going to get that mind to change, repentance, right? How? By loving them, by spending time with them, by them seeing my heart for them. That's how people change. It's good stuff, Pastor. I know. So the gospel is marked by invitations. Now, we just read one invitation in Luke chapter 5, and there's there's tons of invitations. But here's another. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, probably one of my top 10 sections of Scripture, it says, come to me. This is Jesus. Come to me. Look at that invitation again. He's inviting who? All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
If you're weary and heavy laden, he's saying, listen, I will give you rest. Look at this. Take my yoke upon you. We've talked about that. Yoke literally means interpretation of scripture and God, right? But he's saying yoke also means to be yoked up or linked to. So we could say relationship. So take this relationship upon you and learn from me. Look at this. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Now this right here is just like, because in relationships, we should be like Jesus. Gentle and humble in heart. See, when I first, I don't know, almost a decade ago now, I don't know, when I first started shifting some things from maybe we, we would call it mixture or legalism into this grace idea, which by the way, grace is not the only gospel. Uh, Jamie Unglehart has an awesome teaching about the seven gospels that are literally mentioned in the New Testament. And grace is one of those. And I believe grace is the doorway. It gets us into the kingdom without guilt, without shame. But when I began to shift, I was like, that's, you know, you know sometimes when, when you shift into something or get a new idea, that's all that exists, right? Like your kids are like that. It's Christmas time, right? And all they see is the 50-inch plasma or, I'm sorry, LCD, QLED plasma. Who does that anymore, right? But they see the 50-inch screen or they see the game or they see the money. That's all they see in that moment. You're like, is there anything else? And they're like, no, that's all I see. Sometimes when we shift ideology, that's all we see. And so for me, all I saw was, man, this grace stuff is amazing because it was just opening me up to this God who loved me so much despite myself. It just, it blew my mind how much God loved me. And I realized that I didn't have to run away. I didn't have to be scared. I didn't have to be in fear. He's a father who loves me. He cares about me. I don't have to worry about that. But then I started seeing this transition in my life. Some of the habits would fall away, almost like by accident, but it was because of his love and his grace toward me. And so you know what? That overwhelmed me to the point where like, all there is is grace. All there is is grace. And then when I would talk to people, I wasn't necessarily gentle. <laughs> Especially if you were legalistic. I'm gonna tell you what's up. But that wasn't right. That wasn't humble in heart. See, true humility is realizing, wow, I've latched on to something here. There's something new. But other pastors or people who love the same father, they have great intentions. And that's where they are on the journey. It's not always easy, right? So Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Look at this. And you will find rest for your souls. But look at this in 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But look what Jesus says here. An open invitation. He says, come to me. And what I love about this, he doesn't say come to religion. Come to a whole new way and a whole new religious system of things that you can do. He doesn't say come to principles or come to values. He simply says, come to me. That's pretty cool. Come to me, Jesus Christ. Uh, let, me, let me say this. Jesus is a person, not a principle. Now, sure, 
It's, it's okay to have principles. We're not against that, right? Sometimes in that grace movement, I don't even like that terminology, you know, the grace camp, it's almost like the, we don't need principles, we don't need nothing, all we need is love, and it just sounded like, you know, like a hippie commune or something. It's like, listen, man, we're not just laying around and lazy and not doing anything. There's kingdom work to be done, but grace without guilt and condemnation and shame is the only way it's going to get done and get done correctly, right? So see, Jesus has come to me, not to religion, not to principles, not to values. Why? Because Father knew that we were hurting. We were desperate. We were weighed down. And he sends his son and says, I will give you rest. You know what's cool about this? God isn't inviting us to another burden. He's not saying, hey, lay your burden down so I can give you another one. Now, do we get a burden for people? Yeah, I mean, that's what love does. I mean, you, I'm telling you, love just transforms you to the point where you look around and you just, you see the hurting. You see people under the weight of life, even if they don't see it. And you're just like, it just gets you, man. And, and you want them to the sense um, peace and, and joy and, and right relationship. That's what the kingdom is, right? You want them to sense love. You, you want them to have some sense of direction and purpose in their life. Why wouldn't you? That's what love does. But again, God doesn't invite us to another burden. Everything about the gospel should put us at peace. So when you hear someone preaching a, these are air quotes for those listening to the podcast, a gospel message, and it's bringing fear and condemnation, it's not the gospel. It's not. One thing I've learned about God is he does not use fear tactics. He's not trying to manipulate you into his kingdom. And I know stuff's already clicking, Bible verses and stuff, which let me just tell you, they're they're taken out of context and not understood. It's just the truth. I mean, I've studied pretty deep on some stuff that I used to think. I'm like, wow, that's not even what they're saying. But the thing is, it's about love because love transforms a heart. Fear transforms an action. If you fear what's going to be done to you, we can fear or manipulate you into doing the right thing, but your heart has never changed. But love, say love, L-O-V-E, love changes the heart. And then guess what else changes? The actions. And now you do it because like, there's no other way that I could do life but this way. See the difference between fear and love? A lot of times you say, what's the opposite of love? People say hate. No, it's fear. Now, fear breeds hate. I mean, again, let me go right back to it. Look on social media. We fear what we don't know, and then that turns into hatred and name-calling, and it just gets ridiculous. But can you see how love changes a heart, which then in turn changes your actions? It seems simple, but it's a journey, right? So in other words, he's saying, have relationship with me and learn from me. I will change your heart. Jesus is gentle and humble. He stands at the door and knocks. Have you heard this before? Why? A lot of times I've seen pictures like he's like literally at the door of someone's heart, knocking on their heart. There's nowhere in the Bible that says to ask Jesus in your heart, just so you know, okay? Now we invite him into our life, but look at this. He sent an invitation to us. And then he says, behold, I knock at the door. What door? The door of you, your home, who you are. Why? So you can invite him in. 
that's where we accept the invitation and say, yeah, why? Do you know if you continue in the verse, it says, so that I may sup with you. Not like sup. Like what's up? So I can eat with you. Why? We just talked about it. Eating a meal together represents covenant. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is knocking at the door. He's saying, hey, uh, full invitation. I'm here. Everything I am, everything you need for life and godliness, it's available. Um, can I come in? In other words, can I have a relationship with you? Can we sit down? Can we get to know each other? Uh, I mean, this, this is going to be an awesome ride, an awesome journey. I'm going to start shifting stuff, stuff around. It's going to get a little scary, you know, kind of like when you're going up the roller coaster. Click, 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 click. Remember that click? Oh, my gosh, I remember that, right? That click, it's going to be a little scary. You're going to have to walk by faith a lot. Imagine that, not by sight. I know I'm pulling a lot of scriptures out, but it kind of like makes sense, right? And he's saying, will you invite me in? I've invited you, open invitation. Will you receive me? Because if we do, we'll sit down. I'll be gentle. I'll be humble. But I'm gonna start shifting some thinking around. Because if you look all through scripture, it's all about this. The mind is powerful. Have you studied any of the science on the mind? Wow. I mean, I mean, it makes sense because you're like, that's why they're that way, right? Because it's always them. But for me, I'm going, that's why I'm that way. That's why I'm this way. It's all about our thinking. Repent, metanoia, change your mind. When you change your mind, you will turn and go a different direction. Why? Because you see the way you were going wasn't right. You've changed your mind. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's an invitation. So he stands at the door and knocks. And he doesn't barge in because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force love upon you because that wouldn't be love anyway, right? And he's a gentleman before and after we let him in. So will you receive the salvation that he's given? Will you receive the safety and preservation and deliverance and healing and wholeness and rescue that he's offering? Will you receive that? Will you let him in? Jesus invites us to rest, a rest for our souls. Say, you've been invited. And we just looked at a couple examples of invitation here in the scriptures. But I think it's important that we see that every single person has been invited. And that's, that's why I love context. We read that earlier that Jesus wasn't shunning one group over another. He's just saying, you're not going to receive it anyway. But guess what? It's an open invitation. How do we know that? Because we see Pharisees. We see religious leaders who would come to Jesus by cover of night, right? And say, there's something different about you. There's, there's something about you that I want. And Jesus would say, yeah, it's because I'm the living water. You drink of me, you won't thirst again. I mean, all these beautiful ways of just saying that basically I'm what you need. You need a different way of thinking. You need a different way of doing life. And when you do, it's gonna fulfill you like no other thing can. And so we see these invitations over and over and over, and it even applies to the religious community. Say it again, you've been invited. And say this, will you respond? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.